This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of thoracolumbar burst fractures from the spine section on orthobullets.com. Thoracolumbar burst fractures are defined as vertebral fractures with compromise of the anterior and middle columns. They can be unstable because both anterior and middle columns are involved. The mechanism of a thoracolumbar burst fracture is axial loading with flexion, and at the thoracolumbar junction, there is a fulcrum of increased motion that makes the spine more vulnerable to traumatic injury. As far as neurologic deficits, canal compromise is often caused by retropulsion of bone. Maximum canal occlusion and neural compression can occur at the moment of impact. It's important to keep in mind that retropulsed fragments resorb over time and usually do not cause progressive neurologic deterioration. As far as associated injuries, concomitant spine fractures occur in 20% of patients, and lamina fractures are associated with dural tears and entrapped nerve roots. As far as the anatomy, the important thing to keep in mind is the Denis three-column system, and as far as clinical relevance, this three-column system is only moderately reliable in determining clinical degree of stability. But regardless, the three columns are defined as the anterior column, the middle column, and the posterior column. The anterior column contains the anterior longitudinal ligament and the anterior two-thirds of the vertebral body and annulus. The middle column contains the posterior longitudinal ligament, the posterior third of the vertebral body, as well as the annulus. And the posterior column contains the pedicles, lamina, facets, ligamentum flavum, spinous processes, and the posterior ligament complex. Instability is defined by injury to the middle column, as evidenced by widening of the interpedicular distance on AP radiograph, as well as loss of height of the posterior cortex of the vertebral body. Instability is also defined as disruption of the posterior ligament complex combined with anterior and middle column involvement. As far as the posterior ligamentous complex, it's considered to be a critical predictor of spinal fracture stability and consists of the supraspinous ligament, the interspinous ligament, the ligamentum flavum, and the facet capsule. As far as evaluation, determining the integrity of the posterior ligamentous complex can be challenging. Conditions where posterior ligamentous complex is clearly ruptured are in the context of a bony chance fracture, widening of the interspinous distance, progressive kyphosis with non-operative treatment, and facet diastasis. Conditions where integrity of the posterior ligamentous complex is indeterminate is when an MRI shows signal intensity between the spinous processes. As far as classification, the Denis classification is broken down into five types. Type A, Type B, Type C, Type D, and Type E. Type A is a fracture of both end plates. The bone is retropulsed into the canal. Type B is a fracture of the superior end plate. It's common and occurs due to a combination of axial load with flexion. Type C is a fracture of the inferior end plate. Type D is a burst rotation fracture, and this fracture could be misdiagnosed as a fracture dislocation. The mechanism of this injury is a combination of axial load and rotation. Type E is a burst lateral flexion fracture. This type of fracture differs from the lateral compression fracture in that it presents an increase of the interpedicular distance on AP radiograph. Another classification to keep in mind is the thoracolumbar injury classification and severity score, otherwise known as the TLIC score. Injury characteristic qualifier points for the TLIC score are related to injury morphology, neurologic status, and posterior ligamentous complex integrity. As far as the injury morphology, you get one point 
for a compression fracture, one point for a burst fracture, three points for a rotation slash translation injury, and four points for a distraction injury. As far as neurologic status, you get zero points if neurologic status is intact, two points if there's injury to the nerve root, three points if there's incomplete spinal cord or conus medullaris injury, two points for a complete spinal cord or conus medullaris injury, and three points for quadriquinus syndrome. As far as posterior ligamentous complex integrity, you get zero points if the posterior ligamentous complex is intact, that is, there is no interspinous widening seen with flexion views, and the MRI shows no edema in the interspinous ligament region. You get two points for suspected slash indeterminate, in which an MRI shows some signal in the region of the interspinous ligaments, and you get three points for a disrupted posterior ligamentous complex, that is, with widening of the interspinous distance seen on imaging. The TLIX treatment implications are that a score of less than four points recommends non-surgical management. A score of four points can be treated either non-surgically or surgically, and a score of greater than four points suggests that surgical management is indicated. As far as imaging, it's recommended to obtain radiographs of the entire spine in that concomitant spine fractures occur in 20% of patients, as we mentioned. The AP views show widening of the pedicles and possibly a coronal deformity. Lateral views may show retropulsion of bone into the canal and a kyphotic deformity. A CT scan is indicated if there's a fracture seen on plain film, if there's a neurologic deficit in the lower extremity, or if there's inadequate plain films. As far as MRI, this is useful to evaluate for spinal cord or thecal sac compression by disc or osseous material, cord edema or hemorrhage, and injury to the posterior ligament complex and signal intensity in the posterior ligamentous complex is concerning for instability and may warrant surgical intervention. As far as treatment, this can be broken down into non-operative and operative options. As far as non-operative, ambulation as tolerated with or without a thoracolumbosacral orthosis is the major form of management. And the indications for this is patients that are neurologically intact and mechanically stable. That is, the posterior ligament complex is preserved, kyphosis of less than 30 degrees, which is actually controversial, and or the vertebral body has lost less than 50% of body height, which again is controversial. Another indication for non-operative management is a TLIC score of 3 or lower. As far as thoracolumbar orthosis, recent evidence shows no clear advantage of TLSO on outcomes. If it provides symptomatic relief, this may be beneficial for the patient. As far as outcomes of non-operative management, Retropulse fragments resorb over time and usually do not cause neurologic deterioration, as we mentioned. As far as operative management, surgical decompression and spinal stabilization is indicated when there are neurologic deficits with radiographic evidence of cord-slash-thecal sac compression. Both incomplete and complete spinal cord injuries require decompression and stabilization to facilitate rehabilitation. Unstable fracture patterns are defined by injury to the posterior ligament complex, progressive kyphosis, laminar fractures, which are controversial, and a TLIC score of 5 or higher. Now let's quickly go over a few techniques. Posterior spinal fusion alone without decompression is indicated for progressive kyphosis or clear injury to the posterior ligament complex, but with no significant neurologic compression. An anterior decompression and stabilization with or without posterior stabilization is indicated when there are neurologic deficits caused by anterior compression, that is bony retropulsion, and scientific data has not shown a benefit to early decompression and stabilization. 
As far as the technique for this, it usually includes corpectomy and strut grafting, followed by anterior plus or minus posterior instrumentation. The advantage is that you do not need to do a laminectomy, which will further destabilize the spine by compromising the posterior supporting structures. Posterior decompression and fusion is indicated for unstable fracture patterns with no need for neurologic decompression. And it's also indicated for a complete neurologic injury because it allows for earlier rehab. As far as neural decompression, there's both direct decompression and indirect decompression. Direct decompression is for retropulse bone that can be removed via a transpedicular approach. And indirect decompression is via ligamentotaxis, which may occur by restoring height and sagittal alignment with posterior instrumentation. As far as arthrodesis, fusion should be performed with instrumentation. Instrumentation should be under distraction to restore vertebral body height and achieve indirect decompression. Historically, it was recommended to instrument three levels above and two levels below. Modern pedicle screws have changed this to one level above and one level below. It's important to avoid laminectomy if possible, as this will further destabilize the spine by compromising the posterior supporting structures. As far as posterior corpectomy, ventral decompression, a cage, and instrumented 360-degree fusion, the indications for this are when there's neurologic deficits caused by anterior compression, that is with bony retropulsion, and scientific data has not shown a benefit to early decompression and stabilization. The technique for this is unilateral pedicle resection that is required and is facilitated with new expandable cages. Complications of this option is dural tear, radiculopathy, slash deficits due to nerve root injury. As far as complications of thoracolumbar burst fractures, entrapped nerve roots and dural tears can be associated with laminar fractures. Pain is the most common complication. Progressive kyphosis is common with unrecognized injury to the posterior longitudinal ligament and flat back can lead to pain and a forward flex posture and easy fatigue and can be also related to post-traumatic syringomyelia. That's all for this review about thoracolumbar burst fractures. Hopefully that was helpful. Look out for questions related to this topic on this weekend's question session, and hopefully this episode will have prepared you for that review. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on iTunes. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.